Welcome to week three of our series, Offended. If you missed Pastor Stephen's message uh, last weekend, please, please, please hop online and take a listen to it. It was good. It was challenging. He did such a great job. Uh, and uh, this is an important series due to this crazy culture that we sometimes find ourselves living in. And I want to talk about that today. So how many of you would, you, would you just consider yourself a better driver than most other people on the road? Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. It's okay. It's okay. Amongst friends here. We're good. How many of you would say that you just would consider yourself smarter than most of the other people? Just raise your hand if you feel that. That's okay. It's okay. Me, me too. Me too. Like more right than most people. Just raise your hand. You just have a tendency to live right. How about kinder? The kinder people, just raise your hand. You're kinder than most people. Yeah. <clears throat> How about if you're clearly more patient than most of the people you know? Just raise your hand. It's good. It's good. Way more loving? How about quicker to forgive? Just put them both up. Just that's me right there. That's good. Now listen, I can't speak for you, but honestly, I know I'm, I'm way above average. Way above average. Yeah. <clears throat> and, but be careful, though. I'm not bragging. Honestly, it's just not easy being me. It's not easy. <clears throat> it's, it's a real burden, guys. It's a real burden to uh, be right all the time. It's a real burden. There are so many important issues and so many opinions, and people are just so wrong around me all the time. Uh, I don't know how it can be that so many people seem as ignorant as they do. I, I, listen, I know. I know what's right. I know what's right about sports teams. Go Buckeyes. I know what's right about end times and spiritual gifts and parenting and vaccine and capitalism. I know what's right about bearing arms and abortion and sexual issues and gender issues and racial issues and capital punishment. Honestly, I'm telling you, it's exhausting to be me. I'm so right. And I'm being sarcastic. In case you're already writing your email, my name is Pastor Gary. Pastor Gary. <laughs> You don't have to be uh, paying too close attention to see lots and lots of examples in our world today where a person's passion for being right has had very serious implications relationally to those around them. Uh, there are lots of uh, examples of relational division over the past couple of years, and, and it's not just the last couple of years. This is something that's just part of the way humans work, and we have different opinions on politics and politicians and policies and social issues and the pandemic, you throw that in, and it's just led, would you agree, it's led to lots of nasty conflicts? And we all know stories of friendships and romantic relationships and family relationships and churches and workplaces that have suffered from the division, the fractions, and the deterioration because of all of these issues that are just part of the culture that we live in. And if you haven't experienced that personally, it's highly likely that if we were to sit down and have a cup of coffee, you could share with me stories of people that you know that highly likely have gone through what we're talking about today. So some of you might know, and again, I, I just need to preface this by saying I wish I had a whole lot more time to invest in this, but I uh, serve as one of the chaplains on the fire department here in Castle Rock. And I, and I love that, that that's something that I've been given an opportunity to do. And again, I wish I had more time to do it. But a couple of months back, one of the things that was asked of us was that they, they have a peer advocacy group that's part of the fire department and the police department and, and from several different departments around the South Denver area, we all got together and, and a counselor came and was sharing with us just 
this, the training on how to care for each other and pay attention and, and be there to help each other and that kind of thing. And uh, it was eye-opening for me. Obviously, I don't live in that world uh, every day, but um, I'm, I live more aware today than I ever have of some of the challenges uh, that those that are in public service are, are dealing with. And so the, at one point, this gal that was doing the, one of the sessions that we were in presenting said, you know, I would love to hear from someone. So if you wouldn't mind, this is the, you know, our j- jobs are difficult. You're running into harm's way and dealing with difficult situations often. And then you add on to that, the, the, just the, the climate in our culture today, I would just love for someone to just share a little from their heart about how that has impacted them personally. And this gentleman who was on the police department, not in Castle Rock, but one of the surrounding communities stood up and, man, he's high and tight. He looks like a military guy, you know, like just a stud. And he stood up and tears started running down his cheeks. And he said, most recently, within the last couple of months, my mom called to tell me I was a disgrace to our family because of my job. And I mean, I'm in the back, you guys know me, I'm like (laughs) crying with them. I'm like, what kind of mother would say that? But this is what I'm talking about today. And I know there's all kinds of feelings and there's things surrounding this, but a person's passion for their right ideas has become the thing that is responsible for blowing up relationships and, and wounding people that we're supposed to love. This is part of the world that we live in. And my question is, guys, how have we gotten this so wrong? Because it shouldn't be. Especially when we look at ourselves as Christ followers. How, how can we get to a place where, where people care more about having the, the right ideas than maintaining relationships, than, than prioritizing unity, and, and having positive influence on other people's lives? I wish it could be said And this is why we're talking about this today, that it's different for Christ followers. But that's just not true. We need to step up and lead the way. And if we're honest today, the way that many Christians have handled some of the things that are part of this climate is not pointing non-Christians to Jesus. That's a problem. Worse yet, it's highly likely that we're actually responsible for turning people away from Jesus. So here's where we need to land today, and this isn't a new problem at all. Even Jesus faced these same kinds of attitudes and thoughts 2,000 plus years ago. He was surrounded by some people who thought that they were always right, they thought they were more spiritual, they were more smart, they were better, they were holier, they lived with a pretense like so many in our world do today. And it was a real problem, a problem that Jesus knew that he needed to address. And so I want to look at this passage of scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to to, uh, Luke chapter 18, and we're going to start in verse 9. And I want you to see why Jesus told this story. Very simply, Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. So Jesus is going to tell a story like he often does because there was a problem that he saw in the culture. And again, this is what I love about scripture. It's so relevant to our world today. And as equally important then it is now that we would understand this story is for us, guys. So watch what happens. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. The other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I am certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income to you. Wow, wow. 
You guys, like, just unfriended him on Facebook, didn't you? <laughs> Nobody wants to go to his church, do you? You're like, this guy? Are you kidding me? He's going to die a lonely man, right? And Jesus contrasts that with this next uh, part of the story. But the tax collector stood at a distance. Uh, remember, that's the one he had just referred to. This tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Wow. And then Jesus said these powerful words. He said this, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The Pharisee saw himself as right. The other guy was very connected to what was wrong with him. There's something there that we need to pay attention to. To Jesus, this wasn't so much about right and wrong as it was about pride and humility. And this matters. Because this is true. Proud people don't love well. Proud people don't love well. And the way we love matters to Jesus. This is something he talked about on a regular basis. And our pride and our fallenness causes us to be blind to our own sin while we protest the sin in others. We're good at tolerating our own sin, but yet passionately calling it out in other people. But here's the deal, and we talk about this a lot at Plum Creek. When you know the word of God and you understand the gospel message and if you, you've accepted how much God loves you, this thing begins to reframe your life. You begin to look differently, and you should. Your relationship should look different. This, this gospel message, the good news, reframes the way that we think. A person whose life has been reframed by the gospel realizes the vast extent of their own sinfulness and stays very connected to the reality of how it separated us from God and has the potential to separate us from each other. Our proper response is to live connected to our deepest need, and that is God's grace and his forgiveness. And when we stand in awe, live in awe, have our heart calibrated to the awe of all that God has done, you see, then we're changed by this. And we're able to do this, ready? This is so deep, so theological. We're able to chill out. We look at things different. The posture of our heart and our minds is different. We respond different to others, especially to those that believe and behave differently than we do. So here's my main thought for this weekend. Proud people don't love well, but forgiven people do. Proud people don't love well, but forgiven people do. Let's look at this passage of scripture real quick again. Uh, Luke chapter 18, let's look at verse 11. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, the cheaters and the sinners and the adulterers. And I am certainly not like that tax collector. You can hear the tone. And then here's his pious attitude. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. When we look at this just a little bit closer, we can see that this Pharisee, as he approaches God, he doesn't mess, uh, mention any, any, any sinfulness in him. He doesn't mention personal sin or personal shortcomings. It's all about the other guy. That's all his prayer is about the other guy. Even the way he starts his prayer implies this enormous pride. I thank you, God, that you made <laughs> me the way I am, Right? And when you think about all of the I statements, when you read this passage closely, look at them, and there's I statements that are made, and then there's I statements that are inferred. 
It's important to see this. I am not like other people. I am obviously better than other people. I am not a cheater. I am not a sinner. I am not an adulterer. I am not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. This is a great prayer. What Jesus was saying was this. This is it. Ready? Pay attention. This is really big. Don't be like that guy. That's what he was saying. Don't be like him. Don't be like, so we need to pay attention to what he did, how he thought, because when you start isolating yourself from other people that are different, or you obsess on pointing out other people's faults, if you compare yourself to others to spiritually give yourself that pride that you're doing better, if you feel that pride in you because of your behavior, or you refuse to take personal inventory of your own issues, listen, we're sliding into our version of what it looks like to be a Pharisee, and that's not Okay. You see, how much better would this world be if we lived more concerned about the areas of our life that needed attention rather than spending time focused on everyone else's shortcomings? I think, guys, listen, we would change the world (laughs) instead of wasting our time and energy. But it's hard, isn't it? Because it's easier to see the ugly in everyone else. It's easy to see the areas where they fall short instead of looking in the mirror and asking Jesus to communicate where we fall short. So often as Christ followers, we slip too easily into a spiritual pride. And uh, we tend to think that part of our jobs as Christ followers is just to be right, to make sure everyone else knows how wrong they are. And then if we're not careful, see that leads to us becoming offended. It's too easy to be offended by the way other people vote and post and believe and behave, isn't it? You need to pay attention and you just get fired up. That's what happens. Uh, when we let off an offense simmer, it, 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 the next step of that is that we begin to take offense to it. And then offense grows into contempt, and it's a slippery slope. But if you're not careful, what happens? Left unchecked, that turns into hate. Unacceptable. And this can happen in all kinds of situations. Like we all don't have moments where we don't behave well, right? Where we get fired up and our anger gets the best of us. I'm a passionate guy. I don't like when people take advantage of me. I don't like when people come after my family. I've told you this two weeks ago. I don't like when people come after this church. This is my baby, man. A few years back when we were leaving a facility that we had rented and we're moving into this building, the landlord of that building sent us this letter telling us that we owed an additional 40 some odd thousand dollars because of some little thing in this contract that he said we owed. Pulled the contract out. We all sit around and read it. We're like, this guy thinks that he's going to get 40 some odd thousand dollars out of the church. He thinks we're not smart. And I'm, I'm mad now. He thinks I'm a dummy, right? And I can start to feel it burning inside of me. And I'm like, that's not, he's going to try and take advantage of this church? Not on my watch, right? <laughs> start getting fired up, you know? So I sent him an email and I was like, tried to call his office to get an appointment. No response, no response, no response, no response. I didn't know what to do. And I'm mad. Not writing that check. There's no way. So you know what I did? There was a guy that used to go to our church. He's moved now, but he was awesome. And he worked for Frank Alizar. <laughs> so I'm like, hey, bro, need a little help? He's like, Doug, what do you need? Anything, buddy. Tell me what you need. I was like, so if you're an attorney, we lost our attorney. I need to know who you are in case something like this happens. But I was like, bro, would you just send us off a, a letter to this guy? And I explained what happened. He said, send me the contract. He's like, this is garbage. I got it. No problem. So we sent this letter, registered mail. The guy showed up at my office the same day. Can you imagine? 
and he sits down in my office and is just, he's like, he's like bowing up. He's like, dude, seriously, are you kidding me? I'm like, hey, just answer the phone, dude. And he's like, you owe me 40 something. I'm like, no, it's not happening. He's like, you owe me 40 something. Look at the contract. I'm like, you look at the contract. I was like, hey, bro, look, here, here's how this is going to play. And I'm mad now, right? And I might not, I might have had a, a tone, maybe. <laughs> I was like, bro, how much does your attorney cost you an hour? He was like, why would you ask me that? I said, because mine's free. <laughs> now, you know what I'm pretty sure about that guy? I'm pretty sure he's not coming to Plum Creek. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But you know, when I look back on it, I wonder if he'd go to any church. Do you see what I'm saying? We have to be careful. Because the way we handle our relationships, the way we handle issues and challenges, we have to pay close attention. And I want you to pay close attention to what we see in this story, because the tendency towards a pharisaical heart is that we always feel right, which means everyone else is wrong. And then you love to tell everybody how right you are. And then you like to kind of like gather around yourself the people that, that, will, that you can convince how right you are, and then they'll tell you over and over again how right you are. You're just right. You have the right approach to COVID. You have the right approach to political views and marriage and how to raise your kids and how to, do, uh, how to, how to spend your money and how to prioritize your time, right? And he, I wonder this, I wonder this. What if, what if you are actually more right than most people, but you're rude? What if you are more right than most people, but you're not loving? Jesus has something to say about this, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you, this sinner, Jesus said, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. When you see the difference of the contrast between the two people in Jesus' story, it's powerful, do you remember all the I statements that the Pharisee made? The tax collector? Listen. One. One. Do you see what he said? His tone couldn't be more strikingly different. Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And he says this, scripture says, beating his chest. And the verb tense means that this is a posture of his heart that is ongoing. It's not just this moment. It's a posture of his heart. It's the way that he thinks, and it's ongoing. He knows who he is before a holy God, and it's the right kind of guilt and shame. It's a conviction of sin. It's as if he's saying over and over again, God, be merciful to me. God, I'm a sinner. And guys, listen, we need to remain deeply connected to our sinful hearts, grounded in the reality of what God has done for us, desperate for his grace, desperate for his mercy, and, and desperate for his forgiveness. We need to lead ourselves in humility. Remember this, proud people don't love well, but forgiven people do. So how can you be trusted when you refuse to admit mistakes and take ownership because of your mistakes? Listen, we all make, raise your hand if you've ever made a mistake. This is just gonna be very, this is like $200 of therapy right here. <laughs> Right? We've all, some people were like, oh, just double down. When's the last time you admitted that you made a mistake? It might be really good for you to do that this week. 
when we refuse to acknowledge that we have fallen short, listen, I believe you lose your influence. You lose your influence. You turn people away. You turn people away from yourself, but listen, what I wanna talk about today is that we also have a responsibility to understand and to know that we could also be turning people away from God. That scares me. You also stunt the redemptive work of God in your life. So when was the last time you admitted that you were wrong? We kind of keep landing back in this question during this series. Are we called to make a point or are we called to make a difference? I've never known people drawn to Jesus because because of someone else's moral superiority. That doesn't seem to work. Just because you may be right doesn't mean you're making a difference. And I've been thinking about this this week in preparation for this message. Guys, I wonder how it's going to feel when we recognize and realize that the way that we did this prevented people from knowing Jesus. How are you going to feel about that then? Was it that important to be right? To be forceful? And I'm not, this is not about truth. Truth matters. But the way we present truth matters too. I wonder how many times in our effort to try and see a change in someone, we came so hard, so fast, that what we did is turn them away forever. I don't think that's the way we see true change in people's lives. And I noticed something the other day in scripture that I want to share with you. And we know the rest of the story because we've read it before. But in in verse 1 of John 13, we kind of get the context. In in scripture, it's very powerful. So when we read this, it's easy to pass by the fact, and I need you to connect with your heart today with this. Jesus is hanging with his guys. These are the guys that he's closest to. These are his disciples' intimate relationship, and it's easy to forget that in ju- just after Jesus says what we're going to read here, these guys run, they abandon him, they deny him, and they betray him. Aren't you glad you don't have foreknowledge? How would you treat somebody that you know is about ready to do that right there? That they're going to run from you when you need their help the most? that they're gonna deny that they even knew you and they're gonna betray you. How would you, how would you respond to those people? You need to see this. John 13, one. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. Listen, listen. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and he knew, guys, listen, before we read, he knew, run, abandon, deny, betray. It's about to happen and look what it says. Now he loved them to the very end. That can be translated to the very finish or loved them perfectly. So how did he do that? Knowing, knowing what they were going to do. It's in this moment that Jesus takes off his outer garment. He puts a cloth around his waist and he kneels at the feet of these guys that he knows are gonna do the very things that we just talked about. And he washes their feet. But what I want you to see is what Jesus says next, and it's powerful, it has, it's challenging, and it's life-changing. John 13, Jesus says this, dear children. It's important for you to know that this is the only time in scripture that Jesus ever used this term, dear children. And the tone is tender, the relationship is deep. This is the only time he says it in this tender moment, he says this, I will, I will be with you only a little longer And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come to where I'm going. And then in verse 34, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. This is important. Fresh, brand new, not worn out. 
And I want you to feel the power of these words. You have to remember, he's preparing to give up his life so you and I could have life. And when you're doing that, don't you want to be sure that everybody understands what this is all about? If I'm willing to lay my life down for others to have life, I want them to understand the heart behind it. I want them to know about this. I don't want people to miss this. I want people to understand the sacrifice that's been made in order for you to have that life. Of course he wants people to know this, so he would be passionate about sharing this. Look at verse 34. So now I'm giving you a new commandment, Jesus said. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Look at verse 35. For your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. He's saying this, I'm ready to pay a price. I'm gonna give up my life so you can have life. And I wanna make sure that you are on full mission to help others understand what's being done today. And the way that that's gonna happen is by the way you love. You see, oftentimes at Plum Creek, we've talked about how cool it would be to have a CAT scan of our soul where about, you know, every couple weeks we could come and zip, 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 not doing good. You know, like dig it in a little deeper. Let's just work on it. Hey, good week. Did great this week. Stay connected. Stay connected. This matters. Give Jesus access to your heart. How will they know that we love Jesus? It's a way to check yourself, to know if you're following him well, if you're a true disciple. You see, you don't spot disciples You don't know that people are Jesus followers because of what they're against. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say that they're going to know that you're a follower of mine by the way you vote or by the way you post the things that you like and don't like. That's not what Jesus said. You don't know Jesus followers because they're right and everyone else is wrong. Is that what he said? They will... No, we will know, the world will know that we belong to Jesus by the way we love. Could it be that we're too worried about being right? And that because we're so passionate about being right, we've completely jeopardized the opportunity to love well. And it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say you're gonna know that, they're gonna know that you're my followers by the way you love me. Notice he didn't say that. Because loving him then becomes That reflection of that is the way that we care for one another, the way we do life with one another, the way that we love one another. This is not about uh, truth not mattering. Please hear me say that. Truth matters, but the way we present truth matters. And we're sometimes debilitating ourselves from communicating truth. I often wonder, why did people whose lives were a mess, that were nothing like Jesus, that were living completely sinful lives, that believed the opposite of him and were behaving the opposite of him, want to hang out with him. Why? And I think a really big part of this was that he didn't make them feel wrong. Rather, Jesus made them feel loved. They were drawn to him. When we think about it that way, could it be that Jesus was the most right and least judgmental person who ever lived? So if you start with I'm right, the posture then of your soul becomes feeling of moral superiority and then you become judgmental and easily offended and and angered at others. But see, the purpose of our time together today is that if we rather start from a posture of being forgiven, connected to what God has done for us, we feel profound gratitude. And from that place of profound gratitude, then we become more accepting. And the way that we interact with each other is just overflowing. I got no business judging you because I am working on me. 
Let's just work on ourselves together. Proud people don't love well, but forgiven people do. We don't change people by judging them. Rather, people are changed by the way we love them. And we will rarely help someone by judging their sins, but I absolutely know that we can help by loving them well and pointing them to a Jesus, the one who forgives. So if you start with I'm forgiven, you feel profound gratitude and you're accepting and then your relationships are gonna look different because you love deeply. So here's your assignment this week. I really want you to do this. I think it'll be a different week than any you have experienced in a long, long time. I want you to make a pre-decision right now that you're gonna respond this week from a, from a forgiven posture. You're gonna stay grounded on the fact that you've been forgiven. God has given you much. And when that happens, and then you face some disagreement this week or a debate or a controversy, you see you've already pre-committed to respond from a place of love. I guarantee you it'll change your relationships. So there's a story that's told uh, from years ago uh, about a gentleman who was an avid slave trader. And he became super passionate about these pastors that were in his community. And so he started getting these sermons that were written because he traveled a lot. And uh, he, was, he was on a boat, had just left the shores of Africa, and his boat was full of human cargo. And as he was on this journey back to home, he, he was reading these sermons that he had gotten. And one of the pastor's sermons that he read was, was a pastor whose name was John Wesley. And while he was reading a sermon, God did something in his heart changed him forever when he began to realize how fallen he was as an individual he began to see the way that he wasn't loving people well so he told the story he had his men turn the ship around they sailed back to Africa and he let the human cargo off the, off the ship never to return to being a slave trader and it was out of this experience a deep connection to how fallen he was as a man that he wrote a poem that turned into a song. Please remember this, that proud people don't love well, but forgiven people do. Father, we come before you in this moment of reflection together just reminded that we have a responsibility as Christ followers to, to do this life differently and our lives better look different. Lord, will you help us to stay tenaciously connected to truth, but that any time we talk about it, that message be delivered in love. That the way we interact with people would, would cause hearts to be open to truth, not resistant. Will you help Plum Creek do this differently? Will you help catch us when we cross the line? when we feel our blood boiling on the inside that's gonna cause us to react in a way that wouldn't reflect you well. And perhaps there's someone here today as we talked about forgiven people doing things differently. You've not experienced the forgiveness that God extends your way. 
And if that's you and you've never taken a step across the line of faith, in this moment, you have an opportunity to do that. And maybe you're saying, listen, I want my life to be framed different. I want to do relationships differently. I want to lead from a posture of a heart that's grateful for God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, but I've never accepted it. If that's you and you're here today, I just ask you to, in your own words, just say, Lord, I recognize and realize how I've fallen short of your perfect standard. And I thank you for what you did on the cross today. I'm appreciative that that was, that was for me, that I can experience and know your forgiveness that sets me on a different course. Help me to grow in my understanding of what it means to follow you with my life and to treat others in a way that would direct them towards you too. Father, I pray for all of us this week that we would find the posture of our heart deeply connected to your grace and your mercy. Any moment that we start to rise up and judge others or feel like a spirit of rightness come over us, that we would just find that to be the alarm that sets us in a place of just saying, Father, help me. Help me to see the ill of my own way. Help me to see what I can work on personally. Give me an opportunity to love somebody well that might just lead to an opportunity to share truth in a way that they would be more receptive to hearing. God, help this church to do this different. Help your church across the world to do this different. Help our love to reflect your love so that we could see lives changed all around us. Thank you, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.